Everybody, welcome to another episode of this live session Q&A. Uh, and we're going to repurpose this for the podcast. Today, uh, we have Tom. He is the co-founder and CEO of Jabit. By the way, my name is Ramli John, the host here and managing director at ProductLed. And we're going to be talking about the journey of Jabit from a very sales-led organization for about eight years to now uh, they've released this ProductLed premium version of the product. How's it going, Tom? How are things with you? It's going well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, when I, I know when we chatted, uh, you were sharing some stories, and I was like, "People need to hear this." <laughs> so thank you for for coming here. I mean, let's let's jump right in. Let's talk about why. I mean, eight years, uh, Jebit, you've been sales set focused on enterprise, and now you decided to release this premium version of this this product. First of all, for our listeners who might not be familiar, what is Jebit, and secondly, why why that move? Yeah, absolutely. So Jebit's a platform that enables marketers without touching a line of code to create different types of interactive experiences that enable them to get their consumers to answer questions and acquire what we call declared data, but basically question and answer data from consumers. So a really popular example would be if you go to a website and you see there's a quiz embedded there to help you find the right product for you. If you answer five questions, many of those are powered by Jebit. Um, and so there's the, the creative side to build the quiz, and then there's the data side of everything we let you do with this question and answer data once you acquire it. And uh, yeah, our, our story is, you know, we started the company in college uh, eight years ago and we were at Boston College at the time and we dropped out of school and raised a seed round and, you know, went out to get our early customers. And at the time we realized, wow, there's, you know, small companies over here that will pay $100 a month and there's larger companies over here that will pay thousands of dollars a month. You know, let's go after the larger ones. Uh, and so, you know, we spent, uh, you know, eight years, as you mentioned, uh, going and building and selling this enterprise product, a very sales-led motion. And, you know, we I'm really proud of what, what we've been able to do there and accomplish there. And, you know, we've raised $20 million in funding and we work with many of the largest brands in the world like Procter & Gamble and the NFL wow. and Expedia and many other big brands. But it kind of all hit me in the last, you know, two years over, you know, it's not like there's one moment that hits you, but you just keep seeing things, you know, week in and week out. And I'll, I'll share with you, you know, two quick stories of, I think, what really pushed me over the edge to say, okay, that's it. You know, we're building and launching a free version and, you know, I'm buying the PLG book and we're, you know, <laughs> we're going all in on, on uh, you know, expanding our, our company and having this offering as well. And, you know, the first, there's, there's dozens of, of stories like this, but I remember our team was working on a deal uh, with Staples, you know, and we're following the normal enterprise path. We, we met a guy at a conference. He loved Jebit. He's on the marketing team. He's a mid-level marketer. He wants to champion it. We go through, you know, three meetings with his team with first four people and then eight people and then 20 people. And they're looping in all these people to make a decision. And then I remember the moment was he said, you know, 80% of the room wants to use Jebit and is ready to go. You know, there's a couple detractors that aren't sure yet. But he said, I, I've worked out a great strategy. I found a free quiz platform. I'm going to go use that and make a quiz. And then I'm going to use that data to prove it to my boss of why we should sign this you know, big you know, $10,000 a month contract or whatever it was uh, at the time with Jebit. And it just hit me of, wow, he's going to go use another <laughs> company's free product to prove why he should buy Jebit. Um, why, can't he, why can't we just give him a free version of Jebit to right. try? And then, you know, the the second one I'll say is there's a uh, 
I don't know if you've watched it, but there's a really awesome interview with Brian Halligan, the HubSpot mm. CEO. Uh, I think it's through Y Combinator, uh, where he talks about uh, you know the future of how enterprises are going to buy and it being driven by the end users and no longer being driven by you know the CIO or some C-suite and. You know, we look up to HubSpot a lot. Darmesh, the uh, other co-founder at HubSpot, was our first investor. You know, we're based in Boston, where HubSpot is. And uh, as I heard him talking, and as I, you know, coupled it with these things we were experiencing every day, like the Staples story, you know, it just became clear to me if we're going to maximize the potential of what Jebit can be. Sure, we need the enterprise version that you know still takes eighty percent of our company's engineering resources and focus and all of that. But let's go spend you know twenty percent of our time and resources and money and and let's go build out a free version. And that's what we set out to do. Uh, I guess it was like fifteen months ago now. It was November of twenty nineteen. We we decided to go do this. Interesting. So you had this epiphany. Uh, you saw this video, and it just all came together. I guess you were the first one to realize this. What was like the next step to kind of get the buy-in from the rest of the team? I'm guessing the, your team must have been like, I, I, are you, what are you smoking? <laughs> what, 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 like, did they get excited about it or were they very skeptical when you said, hey, let's do this? More skeptical with a handful of people who were very excited about it. So um, I would say the sales team especially was very skeptical when first hearing about this. I would say the the product team was excited, but I think just realized how big of a challenge it might be. Uh, you know, for context, I think I think one of the the best decisions we made, and there were definitely mistakes we made, but one of the best decisions we made was let's get really focused on a very specific use case. So there's many things you can do with the enterprise version of Jebit. There's dozens of different types of, of templates and experience types you can build. Once you build them, you can literally put them anywhere you'd engage with a consumer, You know, your website, uh, through email, through an app, through paid ads, whatever it might be. But we decided, you know, for the for the V1 of this free version, we are just going to focus on building a quiz that you embed on your website. So a quiz to greet all site visitors on your homepage, match them to the right product or service for them, maybe capture a lead, whatever it might be. And so we said all the onboarding flows, everything, it's going to be focused on that. And I think the good news was that let us get very focused. I think the challenge there was our team was used to you know, signing an enterprise deal over a two or three or four month sales cycle, doing, you know, an hour onboarding with them in person to teach that or via Zoom, obviously, to teach them how to use the platform and then being there to answer, you know, four or five, six questions they inevitably ha had before it got live. And, you know, I challenged our product team of, I want a user to be able to sign up, not speak to anyone build this quiz and get it live on their homepage without talking to us. And ideally that all needs to happen in, you know, 30 to 45 minutes because marketers are busy and don't have all day, especially ones at, at smaller companies. And uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big uphill challenge, but we figured it out now, but it didn't happen overnight. I love it. I'm going to, I have some questions that I, I want to ask to uh, follow up around that. But before I do, I want to talk about that team dynamic. I mean, one of the challenges we see with companies moving from sales led to product led is getting buy-in. So you said uh, the sales the sales team was very skeptical. The product team was like, ah, I'm not sure about this. You now that you're bought in, like you're excited about this. What were some of the things that you did to kind of get buy-in from the the team? And I'm guessing it's probably one at a time, or maybe you just like here. This is the way. Follow me or else. <laughs> 
Yeah. So it was, it was pretty obvious to me from just some early conversations that I didn't have full 100% buy-in. I mean, there were other people on the executive team that weren't fully bought in yet. Uh, like I said, the sales team was definitely skeptical of this. And so I kind of made the decision of rather than waste all my breath trying to explain to everyone why we are going to do this, I'm just going to go create a small task force. We, we called it the PLG task force internally. It was, it was nobody's full-time job, but it had, you know, our CMO and one of our marketers was on it. Our head of product and one of our product people was on it. And the five of us came together. There were a couple other people that tangentially helped us, but it's really the five of us. And we just started meeting every week and we just started carving out, you know, 10, 20% of our time to put towards this. Um, and then obviously through that, you know, our VP of product pulled in a couple engineers to help with it. And we kind of did this all and, you know, I don't know if stealth mode is the right thing to call it, right? But we did this off in a silo and, you know, we didn't really talk about it that much. I, I at least got enough buy-in from my management team that I could go off and do this and they supported me on it. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't what people were talking about every day. It wasn't a big, you know, central thing across the company. And, you know, I think one of the obvious things to say is that since I'm the CEO, it was easier to be able to go do that, right? I know, you know, if you are a, a product manager at a much larger company and you're trying to go ask, you know, permission from the C-level team or the management team to go do this, I fully acknowledge there could be challenges there. And I, again, I faced some of those challenges when pitching everyone on why we should go do this. But uh, yeah, I created the task force and I'll be the first to say that it took the task force, you know, twice, maybe three times as long to get there than I thought. Like it's harder than you think to to just build a great onboarding flow that's easy for people to use. But so we started that task force, like I said, in November of 2019. I think by June of 2020, we had our first big win on it. And I'm happy to talk through what that was. But that's when I think heads started to turn and people started to realize, oh, that's what Tom was talking about six months ago. Uh, wow, maybe there is something here we should we should think into. Yeah, we're going to get there. I, I'm excited. I, I've heard that story. So Love it. <laughs> I, wanna, I have, a, like I said, I have a bunch of follow-up around this now. Around... Uh, how did you choose who to be in the PLG? What did you call it? Squad or SWAT team or PLG yeah. task force? Yeah. All right, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> who did you choose? Like, how did you choose? I'm guessing. Obviously, you need a product, and you also need a marker. Was there any like uh, trying to figure out? I guess you're trying to figure out who is probably more bought in. Is that your thought process to see who is going to be a part of this task force? Exactly. I mean, my thinking was it's got to have people from both product and marketing because how else are you going to create this team without those functions? And then from there, it's I kind of went around and spread the word I was thinking of doing this. And it was really who raised their hand and who got really excited about it. You know, we, we try to build a culture at Jebit that is open for you to take initiative and jump onto things that excite you. So, um, you know, thankfully for me, both our our VP of product and our CMO were two of the people that were really excited about it that latched on. So they were there and that helped, I think, give me more, you know, leadership support where it wasn't just me out on an island wanting to do this. And then, you know, there was a, a more junior guy on our marketing team and product team as well that raised their hands and wanted to jump on. So, right. That's great. I Just people who are enthusiastic, you like with any change, you need the first task force you call it or like the first yeah. they're they're gonna be the evangelists of this so I, I really like how you you put it that they're the ones who, who are bought in i mean another follow-up question i have around this is you said you decided on one specific use case 
how did you decide that? Like, is there, you know, I guess it's just maybe like kind of logic that like this is probably the easiest one that will get people in the door. Or was there something else that you had that made you decide, like, we, let's focus on this with this product-led uh, initiative? Yeah, uh, there were a couple things. Uh, First thing was just looking at the data and looking at the use cases of what our enterprise customers do a lot. And that use case I talked about was, it was one of the top three. So we knew, okay, this is widely used at the enterprise. Doesn't mean it will exactly apply uh, with a free version, but that was our starting point, obviously. Um, Then we wanted a use case that was really easy to explain because obviously in the PLG world, all you have is a landing page or a quick video to explain the value prop and get someone on board. And some of our other use cases are just just a bit more complex than the quiz embedded on your homepage to match you to the right product for you, which I can obviously pitch that one in eight seconds or whatever that was. It just took me. Um, And then the last was thinking through... uh, where is going to get us a lot of eyeballs for the powered by Jebit that we now get to have on all of our free experiences, right? Because in the enterprise world, there is no such thing as a powered by Jebit. If an enterprise brand is spending 10000 a month on your platform, they want to make sure it doesn't say powered by and that this looks and feels you know, custom to their brand. So this idea of having all these quizzes embedded on homepages where as you go around the web, you'd see you know, little powered by Jebit icons here and there. I think that was another thing that, that drew us to that use case. That makes a ton of sense. So yeah, this is the easiest way you said it. It's the easiest one to pitch. People get it. Like if you're gonna try to get people to sign up for this, you want to make sure that they can understand it. So so now you have the team, you have the product. What were the next thing that they? I mean, maybe I should talk to that BBO product and, yeah. and see more later. But like if from your eyes, like what were some of the things that they that you they focus on uh, in the beginning so that they can get. I'm trying to get to the June 20, yeah. uh, 20 with success. Like, you, what were, yeah, what was that journey like? I'll give you the spark notes of that. And then, yeah, you can talk to John sometime, our VP of product, <laughs> about more of the, the pain he went through. So, you know, we, we knew that obviously for the free version, you know, sure, a marketer at somewhere like Staples could sign up, but we knew it would be a lot of smaller businesses that would inevitably sign up. And, and we also knew that our end goal was to launch this through Shopify. That was decided early on as well. But obviously, as anyone knows who's launched a Shopify app, that doesn't happen overnight. You know, you've got to build it, you've got to get approved, and you obviously want to get it to a point where you're confident enough in it um, that that you want to go live. And we didn't end up going live on Shopify until November of 2020. So about a year later from when we started, which, which again was at least twice as long as I thought it would be. But, uh, so the first thing we did was we literally just went out and got 25 friends or family members who run small businesses to agree to be our beta testers. And it was literally my mom, who's a realtor of 30 years. It was, you know, the butcher in our CMO's town where she gets her steaks. It was, you know, it was people like that, that we just had a relationship with. And we said, Hey, you guys know about Jebit, you know, but we want you to try the free version. And we worked on the free version for about two months. So it was, you know, late January of 2020, we got all excited and we said, all right, the 25 people are going in. Literally not one of them could, could complete it and figure it out. I mean, it was such a demoralizing thing. Like not, not one of them could go in and follow our tool tips and build the whole thing out. I mean, some of them obviously made it further than others, but after two weeks, nobody was live. So that was a real, you know, gut check of, okay, we totally missed the boat. And then obviously we got call on calls with maybe 10 or 15 of them and we figured out where they got stuck. We kind of went through the process again you know, late March, 
redid that again. And, and again, like I was saying earlier, you know, we only had like two engineers working on this on the side. So it wasn't like they could make updates very quickly because most of our companies still focus on the enterprise version. And, uh, you know, the March one did better. I, I forget the numbers, but I don't know if we sent 20 people in, maybe five of them got live. And by, I think it was June, we felt confident enough that we could start, uh, you know, putting some paid spend behind this to drive people in and test that. So we focused on uh, Google. We bought some AdWords on Google of people searching for things like build a quiz, build a free quiz, et cetera. And that's when the engine really got cranking. You know, from June through through November, you know, we were able to send, I don't know what it was, maybe, maybe a thousand people, maybe 800 people, something like that through. And now we could start to get much more real data. Now these were strangers that we couldn't just pick up the phone and call. We obviously could ask them to get on a call. And that's when, you know, we just started making all the little tweaks to get it, uh, you know, going better and better. I keep saying I love it, but I really do. Like you started off with your your mom's real estate agent and your CMO's butcher. Like what a story, man. That's really, really fascinating. And I like just to reiterate, reiterate to people who are listening, Start small. I mean, your team started off small, but you also started off small with the beta team. You don't have to make like a huge splash with it because there it's better to launch early with that. I mean, you were talking about like the first twenty, they they did none of them completed it, and then the next is the maybe five, and then the next is like they get better. What what were some of the just just from your point of view, uh, and probably I, I I'm definitely gonna talk to the VP of product, but what, what were some of the challenges uh, with with People not being able to complete it. Like, why, why were they not? Like, was it the onboarding? Was it they were finding confusing? The the flow was challenging, or the communication was challenging. The core of the challenge is just we've been building this business for eight years, and we this it's things that are so obvious to us are not obvious to a brand new user who has not thought about building a quiz and capturing leads through a quiz and capturing data through a quiz. So you know, everything was very obvious in hindsight, but it was just things like they didn't know where to click or they didn't understand like at the end of your quiz, you have to set up, we call it the outcome logic, but based on how people answered the questions, which product or service do we recommend to them? And so our little module where you create the outcome logic was super complicated in hindsight, but you know, we just, we just thought it was straightforward and intuitive. So uh, again, it was just a lot of like eating a big piece of humble pie and realizing, wow, this thing we worked really hard on that we thought was easy is just not easy. I mean, the data is just showing us of these 25 people who were doing us a fate. Like these are people that cared about us, right? Like I just said, it's my mom and someone in town that, that Pam, our CMO knows. And even them with that, they couldn't do it. So it was obvious to me, okay, this thing is not ready for prime time if people that even have an emotional attachment to us and want to help are not willing to go through the whole process, you know, that's, that's how painful it was. But uh, yeah, then it just, just got, you know, 1% better week over week. Really, really love that. You're, you're so right with there. I mean, it's all about improvement. And and you you said it's, it's, you don't always have to be to launch for prime time because if you, if you launch something for prime time, it's probably too late, right? You've, you've launched something that's too perfect. I mean, in terms of uh, you're talking about data a lot, and this is another question we get a lot uh, around. Like, you wouldn't know that something's broken if you were you didn't have the analytics in place. And this is probably something that I can ask Pam later as well for for this podcast. But just from a point of view, do you do you recall what analytics um, tech stack that you did was implemented to make sure to say, hey, they're actually not completing this part, and we need to to work on this. 
Yeah. Um, so John is the guy to talk to there and he built, uh, this is actually, I think this is actually a really great point. Uh, in the very early days, like when my mom was in there and Pam's butcher was in there and things like that, John was spending a, a good chunk of his time building out all these dashboards and, uh, they're all in quick sites. That's the platform. He has all, all the dashboards in that we check. And I remember being like, John, I feel like you're just wasting a lot of time on this right now. <laughs> like, you know, being someone who started a company in college and like we were super scrappy and like we didn't build dashboards until much later on. I, I was just thinking, you know, John, we don't even have any users yet. Like, shouldn't we focus a lot more on the marketing and making the product better? And he fought me on it. He said, no, we we need to make all these dashboards. We need to build this infrastructure right now to understand it all. And I said, okay, I, I trust you, you know, go do that. And I can clearly say, you know, 15 months, 18 months later, whatever it is, he was absolutely right on that because now we're all in there and the team that focuses on this now, I mean, they're in there every day looking at this and looking at what new accounts were created today, who, who made X amount of edits in their experience, who put their experience live, who has more than a thousand people completing their quiz, all of these different levers we look at now to understand which users the sales team should call on and which users are worth reaching out to or which users are clearly getting stuck and we need to go figure out why they're getting stuck. And so, uh, yeah, all, all the credit goes to John on that one of, of the whole suite of analytics dashboards that he built out. Okay, I, I got to talk to him because that's a question <laughs> we get asked a lot. Like, hey, Roundy, what is the PLG tech stack for <laughs> analyzing data? Because you're right, like if you don't have the data, you wouldn't know where they're getting stuck. You wouldn't know who the sales team should be reaching out to you, you wouldn't know like is marketing not just driving signups, are they actually driving signups that become active? So I mean, I'll definitely talk to John. I Absolutely. Mean, and I'm I'm sure as you can imagine, sorry to cut you off there, yeah, but go, as go our PLG task force has evolved and gotten more success within the company, then other people start leaning in, right? So, mm. you know, John has a, a data analyst on his team and she helped a ton with these dashboards. We have a RevOps woman on the revenue side of the house and wow. she's now involved in helping loop in sales data to these dashboards and call data and things like that. So, you know, as I did predict in the early days would happen, if we start to see success and we start to see conversions and we start to see revenue being driven from this, it has snowballed and more people are leaning in and, and want to get involved. Interesting. I've, that's great. That's good. That's good. Well, like I said, I have to get John here because that's a question we get yeah. a lot. So you have this. I want to fast forward to the happy moment. The moment yeah. in June when it just everything, something clicked. And can you share that story to, the, to our audience? Yeah. So two things happened in June in the same week. The first was a user logged in that we didn't know of. He runs a small uh, e-commerce brand himself. And in 40 minutes, he built his quiz, grabbed the embed code, designed it all exactly how he wanted, set his outcome logics. He embedded that quiz on his website. And then I think he went and like tweeted about us of how easy of a process it was, which was just icing on the cake. And we all sat there and I remember John sent the link out on our PLG task force Slack and he said, go to this website. And we all went there and there was the embedded quiz with Powered by Jevin on it. And it's a it's a small feat, obviously, at the but at the time to have a stranger that didn't know us and had no emotional ties to us go do that, that was awesome. And then at the end of that week, uh, a user came in from a, a larger, we'll call it more like mid-market uh, e-commerce brand. And that user uh, booked a call with one of our sales reps for Monday. 
And by Monday, when that call happened, this guy had already spent over 10 hours in the platform over the weekend, built out multiple different quizzes, and it was a one-call deal. And then he not only signed a paid contract, he skipped all of our paid tiers for the free version, uh, like the simpler version, and he just signed right up for the enterprise version of Jebit. And you know that sales rep went back to the team and basically just said, I had a one call close. This was a five day sales cycle and we got an enterprise deal close. And our team is used to three, four meetings over, you know, three or four months to get a deal closed. That was the moment that the sales team started to say, Oh, tell me more about this this free version, this PLG, you know, acronym we've heard, you know, getting thrown around. And now, of course, that happens much more regularly, but those were the two things that happened uh, in that same week in June that were uh, pretty special. Shoot. So I guess the people in the, the team got super, super excited about this task force. Now everybody wants to join a task force, I'm guessing. Exactly. So like, what, what happened after that, those two moments? Like, uh, like I don't know. Did everybody want to be in the task force now? Like, did they start asking you, what are you guys doing? Like, can you tell a little bit more about what happened after those two things uh, occurred? So after that, I think was when... That those were the moments to me of then starting to realize, okay, we kind of have to disband this task force, right? Like now this just has to start to become just a part of Jebit, right? It, it can't be these five people off in a silo, you know, doing this experiment. It's got to be just, you know, this is Jebit. There's a, there's a free version. And I, I think another unique, like I think another thing that our sales team hadn't fully thought through at the start was free doesn't just have to mean small and medium-sized companies. Mm, I mean, big enterprise brands that are the exact brands we would be targeting on our target list have now come in and created free accounts and that has led to larger conversations, right? And so it was always clear to me from day one, like this is not going to end up being in a silo. This is just going to be Jebit. There's just, you come to the Jebit homepage and you can go to it now and you can see our own quiz on our website that asks you some questions and matches you to the right Jebit version for you. But if you want to sign up for free because you're either a small business with limited budget or because you're just that innovative person at the big company that wants to get your hands dirty and try, great, go down the free path. If you're a more senior person at an enterprise brand and you know you're not going to try it for free and you just want to talk to a sales rep and talk about what a Jebit license would look like, great, click here to schedule a demo. Mm. And so after those two things happened in June, I started to shift my own focus internally from how do we now just better integrate everything we were doing with PLG into everything we're doing. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that's been perfectly, you know, (laughs) easy or all smooth sailing, but I think now the whole company is bought in that this is our future. And so are there tensions now that would be another great question for you to ask John about when our enterprise sales reps are asking for one set of features to be built and you know the sales reps calling on the free users have a different set of features? That's, of course, a real challenge we deal with today. And John has to think about how do we balance our product roadmap and how do we do you know everything and what are the features that will apply to both, et cetera. And you know, there's been a bunch of conversations with the revenue teams, you know, sales and marketing in particular on pricing, you know, how do we make sure the pricing scales really well all the way from someone free to, you know, there are customers that spend more than a million dollars a year on the platform because they're using it globally and they're using it at scale. So, you know, how do we make sure there's pricing that scales all the way through um, and is fair to everyone and the features are all in the right sections? You know, that's been a lot of where my time has gone since June. 
pricing is where your a lot of your time has gone. Let, let's talk, let's talk about one, one important piece of, I right. think, the overall just making right. sure this thing that was a side right. project is now well assimilated into everyone's life at Jebit. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, it's really fascinating that you, okay, that this this works. Let's disband the task force. Uh, and then you got everybody kind of aligned around this. I guess I have a bunch of, uh, first of all, like let's talk about pricing because that's, that's a, a thing that we get asked a lot. I mean, how has the pricing shifted? Like, there's some shift in the the organization itself with the different team members, but there's also a huge shift in terms of uh, pricing. And yeah, can you just talk a little bit about how your pricing has changed from pre-product led and post-product led? For sure. And I will just clarify: it's not that the PLG task force has completely disbanded, but it's gone from you know meeting weekly to I think that we meet monthly now, and it's just it's kind of. There's still a bunch of things that task force has to do and execute on, but I think we're we're slowly and slowly, you know, in the process of disbanding it, I should say. But it wasn't like we had two wins and said, okay, you guys are done. Stop, <laughs> stop meeting together. Um, so yeah, uh, pricing, we've had so many conversations on. I mean, it's probably helpful to understand our, our base pricing to start um, for the enterprise tier, which is based on the number of experiences you want to have live. So we don't charge by users. We don't charge by uh, how many people go through your quizzes or your experiences. It's all based on the number of experiences you want to have live at any point in time. Um, and that obviously gives you the full suite of features on uh, what is now called our advanced builder, but before it was just the builder. And so there's kind of two main things that have happened with our free and then lower price points because there's lower tiers you can sign up for that are paid before the advanced version. We've now kind of branded and created the, the simple simpler version as our simple builder, for lack of a better term. So if you are signing up for the free version, you're on the simple builder. And then there's many more advanced features you can get if you want the advanced builder. Um, the other thing we've done with the free version is you can go free and you can have up to a thousand people go through that quiz on your website without having to pay anything. And then the pricing levers start coming in once you hit a thousand people going through. So your kind of two reasons to upgrade, I'm oversimplifying it, there's other things, but your two reasons to upgrade to the advanced version would be you want more advanced features or you want to move to a model where you have unlimited people that can go through your experiences, right? You might've gone from a thousand to 2,500 to 5,000. And then you might just be like, you know what? We want to be able to drive a hundred thousand people through. We need unlimited completions and limited engagement. So let's upgrade to that, that enterprise version. Mm. I mean, I guess I, I should ask this uh, to your VV product about what features you decided to give for free and which one you decided to to lock in. I mean, is that something that you can answer or should I just ask uh, your VP product later? Yeah, I can give you the high level. I mean, it's a lot of uh, creative controls you don't get on the free version. So the free version is much more templatized and there's less things that you can uh, manipulate in terms of the look and feel of the quiz. You're limited on which integrations you can get on the the free version. So, you know, we're integrated into you know Clavio and Mailchimp and a lot of the platforms that smaller customers use. And then, if you want the integrations into Salesforce or SAP or some of the larger uh, platforms we're integrated with, that's all at the enterprise version. And then there's some advanced features that that don't happen at the free version. So. Um, one really popular advanced feature is like being able to ingest your entire product catalog and automate the outcome logic of if you have 
5,000 products, you're not going to go in there and set all the logic one by one of how right. to recommend every product. So there's there's just more advanced features you only get on the, the enterprise version. And just to speak to that, it seems like you're obviously thinking about what do our, the ones who want to pay the larger amount would want, like connection to Salesforce. They probably have a lot of products and they, they're not going to like manually do the outcome logic one by one for all of those 5,000 products. So, I mean, for the listeners who speak, listening in, I mean, that's, that's just something that you guys really thought about is like, what do the enterprise high price, uh, high price customers would want versus, you know, what would be the smaller customers would want? Is, Absolutely. Would that, perfect. Yeah. And, and the biggest fear, obviously, of our sales team was, what if our enterprise customers now see there's a free mm, version, you right. know? And so obviously the biggest things you're thinking through are the pricing has to be fair to every person in tier of what their needs are. Right. And so our enterprise customers, they know they need these advanced features. They know they get way more than a thousand people through every quiz, you know, some of them get millions. So when they see, okay, you can build a free version using a much uh, simpler feature set that's less advanced and you only get a thousand people that go through it. It's pretty clear to them. Oh, that's not a tier that even remotely fits my needs. Um, but yeah, that took a lot of time and and thinking through and talking to some of our enterprise customers we're closer with that you know were very supportive of us trying to do this and understood why it was good for Jebit to expand our business this way. Uh, I had a lot of good conversations with them to to kind of get to where we ultimately ended up. Interesting. That's something that I didn't really think about as well. It's like you actually talk to your enterprise customers about your pricing model, like around this 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 yeah. idea of like a free tier. Some of the ones that we're really close with, yeah. So uh, some of the ones that I knew I could just have an open dialogue with. Of, uh, hey, look, I'm the CEO of this company. I want to go create a free version. Here's why it's better for Jebit mm. to have this out there. And can you just give me your candid feedback and advice on which uh, features you guys care most about, which things are most important for you to pay for, et cetera. So it wasn't like I went and pulled all <laughs> our enterprise customers, but it was, I think I pulled probably right. five aside that I'm, I'm close with and knew I could have an okay. honest conversation with. Makes a ton of sense. I mean, but that's something that I, I think people should be doing more as especially they, they have to make sure, like you said, you, the words you said was, it needs to be fair. And I love that word because it really has to be. I mean, there's just one other topic I want to ask about around sales. Like when another question we get asked a lot is when should sales reach out? And you talked a little bit already about people who are raising their hands. But on the other side, on the free side, uh, people who sign up for free, they don't want to get chased down by a salesperson. They'll get super annoyed and run away. So, I mean, there's that balance of like, when should they do that? And I'm I'm curious, what when did the sales team... Uh, you know, what is that trigger point for the sales team to be more proactive in terms of outreach or if, if any at all? Yeah. So we actually started maybe early, I, I would guess. I don't know what other people tell you, but um, I took one guy on our sales team who I knew was a... Uh, uh, like very nice, very polite, would would come across like very consultative to them, right? And not as much like hard selling you. And he jumped on it with me and we had him reach out to every new signup yeah, starting in June. So once we started doing that paid work on Google um, and we knew there were, you know, strangers coming in that we didn't know, we wanted him to reach out. And I, I was very clear with him. The goal isn't even necessarily to sell people. The goal is to get on the phone with them, figure out where they're stuck, help them through. So again, he was kind of, he was honestly pseudo support and customer success and pseudo sales, but I did, it was a sales guy I pulled in because I knew the end goal here was to sell people. And I would 
probably jump on a third of those calls with him just so I could listen in. And, you know, I <laughs> remember a bunch of people were like, well, we're getting the CEO on this call for something that might be a hundred dollar a month deal. And, you know, I've just explained to them, look, right. This free version's brand new. Like, this is something I care about. You know, we've been around for eight years and we've never had this. And, um, I would say after three months of him doing that, um, I don't know, we had probably booked a few dozen paid deals through it and it was starting to become, uh, you know, not a significant part of our sales, but at least like a single digit percentage towards our, our sales goal was starting to come from this. And that was when we started looping in a couple more. We did two things. We started looping in a couple more sales reps to look at all the leads coming in and we started specifying which leads you should reach out to, because uh, obviously it can't be every lead now. So, uh, you know, John created uh, what we call internally our PQL score. So, like, just the, a, a score looking at ten or twelve different attributes of, um, you know, how product qualified this user was, how engaged they were in the platform, and then we also pull in data on uh, general company size, et cetera. And our sales reps have a rule of either if this is a very active user in the platform and they hit a certain PQL score reach out, or if this just happens to be a company of a large enough size um, that could just be an enterprise deal on their own, you know, reach out to them as well. And so those are the, the two categories they're reaching out to, which if I had to guess is maybe 20% of all users coming in, but John would have a better number for you on that. Sure. I'll definitely reach out to John. But that's also something that we see in a lot of companies is they have this two sides to it. You talk, you talked about the ideal customer profile. So customers, customers who are a specific uh, company and and size as well as on the other side as they've done they've been active on on the product. So PQL. So I mean the the intersection of both is where the magic happens, where it's like this person who fits that customer profile as well as getting super active at, at it. So thank you for sharing that. I'll definitely reach out to John. It's something that we get asked around. I mean, I'm, I'm going to start wrapping up. Just a few more questions. First one is, uh, if you had a tip, if you had one piece of advice or one or two pieces of advice you'd like to, to give to, to somebody who is a CEO or a, a VP or a C-suite level a leader in, in a company that's sales-led for many years, and they're like, dang, we should go product-led. What would be your one or two piece of advice to that that leader right now? I think some of the things we did well were the very specific use case and doing this with a small task force on the side that people knew about. But it, again, I wasn't trying to rally the whole company at once to go do this. I think some of the mistakes I made are just learnings that I would advise on. Uh, it took way longer than I thought it would. I think you just have to budget that in. Um, I thought it would probably be what we did in a year. I thought it would probably take three or four months because I was just way too naive and ambitious, I guess. And then um, I think I mismanaged part of the bringing it all back in once we started seeing success. I think I had... I think I had gotten things going really well in this silo where we were working really well and making progress. Uh, once we started seeing success, I did not proactively then start sharing broadly with the whole company enough of what we were doing and enough of what was happening. And so a few people on my management team eventually called me out for that of like, hey, remember, we're supportive of this. We want to see this happen. But if you're not sharing stuff with us, we can't share. And I think, so I think I just went too far to the extreme of keeping it siloed for too long. Interesting. Really fascinating. 
I mean, I, sorry, I have another follow up question. Yeah, about that. I mean, that's the other thing is around sharing knowledge. I mean, what is the process now around sharing sharing those wins or that that thing that you were talking about? Like, do you have like now a, a Slack channel that anybody can plug in around product led or a, a, like a newsletter or what are some ways that you're kind of you fix that that particular thing that that leader pointed out to you? Well, yeah, I think the best thing now, and and that leader was our CRO, Scott, who was really just like, hey, I will support you and I will drive our whole sales team on this, but you got to be looping me into what's happening. And um, it's now just part of everything him and the sales team does. If you look at their weekly reports of calls booked, it includes all the calls that come through the the freemium model. If you look at their report of opportunities created and deals closed and all of that, like the I guess a different way of saying it is the free version has just become another lead source, another inbound source of the different deals sales might be working on. So now it's just really ingrained. And now he just reported I think it was almost 20% of our sales last quarter. I think it was like 15% or something like that uh, came through this free version. So like now it's becoming real and now it's growing and now everyone's excited about it. And it's now more, it's not the day-to-day of everyone's job. There's of course sales reps that just sell into the enterprise, but it's becoming part of the day-to-day of more people's job within the, the sales and marketing org. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, just, just to wrap up now, like if people had any questions, um, where can people find you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Like, where do you want to send people if they they have uh, any questions that they yeah, might have? Yeah, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also just Tom at Jebit.com if anyone wants to send me an email. Um, and obviously, Jebit.com is our website if anyone wants to just go there and they can try a Jebit quiz that we have on the site uh, for ourselves where they can learn more about Jebit too. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.